Chapter Eleven, Part One of the Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. The Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World by Sir Edward Shepherd Creasy. Chapter Eleven, Part One: The Battle of Blenheim. 1704 the decisive blow struck at blenheim resounded through every part of europe it at once destroyed the vast fabric of power which it had taken louis the fourteenth aided by the talents of turenne and the genius of valbon so long to construct Alison. though more slowly moulded and less imposingly vast than the empire of napoleon the power which Louis the Fourteenth had acquired and was acquiring at the commencement of the eighteenth century was almost equally menacing to the general liberties of Europe. If tested by the amount of permanent aggrandizement which each procured for France, the ambition of the royal Bourbon was more successful than were the enterprises of the imperial Corsican. All the provinces that Bonaparte conquered were rent again from france within twenty years from the date when the very earliest of them was acquired france is not stronger by a single city or a single acre for all the devastating wars of the consulate and the empire but she still possesses franche comte alsace and part of flanders she has still the extended boundaries which louis the fourteenth gave her and the royal spanish marriages a few years ago proved clearly how enduring has been the political influence which the arts and arms of france's grand monarch obtained for her southward of the pyrenees when louis the fourteenth took the reins of government into his own hands after the death of cardinal mazarin there was a union of ability with opportunity such as france had not seen since the days of charlemagne moreover louis's career was no brief one for upwards of forty years for a period nearly equal to the duration of Charlemagne's reign, Louis steadily followed an aggressive and a generally successful policy. He passed a long youth and manhood of triumph before the military genius of Marlborough made him acquainted with humiliation and defeat. The great Bourbon lived too long. He should not have outstayed our two English kings, one his dependent, James II, the other his antagonist, William III. Had he died in the year within which they died, his reign would be cited as unequaled in the French annals for its prosperity. But he lived on to see his armies beaten, his cities captured, and his kingdom wasted by disastrous war. It is as if Charlemagne had survived to be defeated by the Northmen, and to witness the misery and shame that actually fell to the lot of his descendants. Still, louis the fourteenth had forty years of success and from the permanence of their fruits we may judge what the results would have been if the last fifteen years of his reign had been equally fortunate had it not been for blenheim all europe might at this day suffer under the effect of french conquests resembling those of alexander in extent and those of the romans in durability when louis the fourteenth began to govern he found all the materials for a strong government ready to his hand richelieu had completely tamed the turbulent spirit of the french nobility and had subverted the imperium in imperio of the huguenots 
the faction of the frondeurs in mazarin's time had had the effect of making the parisian parliament utterly hateful and contemptible in the eyes of the nation the assemblies of the states-general were obsolete the royal authority alone remained the king was the state louis knew his position he fearlessly avowed it and he fearlessly acted up to it quand louis quatorze dit l'état c'est moi il n'y eut dans cette parole ni en fleur ni fanterie mais la simple enunciation d'un fait michelet histoire moderne volume two page one o six not only was his government a strong one but the country which he governed was strong strong in its geographical situation in the compactness of its territory in the number and martial spirit of its inhabitants and in their complete and undivided nationality louis had neither a hungary nor an ireland in his dominions and it was not till late in his reign when old age had made his bigotry more gloomy and had given fanaticism the mastery over prudence that his persecuting intolerance caused the civil war in the Cévennes. like napoleon in after times louis the fourteenth saw clearly that the great wants of france were quote, ships colonies and commerce unquote. but louis did more than see these wants by the aid of his great minister colbert he supplied them one of the surest proofs of the genius of louis was his skill in finding out genius in others and his promptness in calling it into action under him louvois organized turenne conde villars and berwick led the armies of france and Vauban fortified her frontiers throughout his reign french diplomacy was marked by skilfulness and activity and also by comprehensive far-sightedness such as the representatives of no other nation possessed guizot's testimony to the vigor that was displayed through every branch of louis the fourteenth's government and to the extent to which france at present is indebted to him is remarkable he says that quote, taking the public services of every kind the finances the departments of roads and public works the military administration and all the establishments which belong to every branch of administration there is not one that will not be found to have had its origin its development or its greatest perfection under the reign of louis the fourteenth and he points out to us that quote, the government of louis the fourteenth was the first that presented itself to the eyes of europe as a power acting upon sure grounds which had not to dispute its existence with inward enemies but was at ease as to its territory and its people and solely occupied with the task of administering government properly so called all the european governments had been previously thrown into incessant wars which deprived them of all security as well as of all leisure or so harassed by internal parties or antagonists that their time was passed in fighting for existence the government of louis the fourteenth was the first to appear as a busy thriving administration of affairs as a power at once definitive and progressive which was not afraid to innovate because it could reckon securely on the future there have been in fact very few governments equally innovating compare it with a government of the same nature the unmixed monarchy of philip the second in spain it was more absolute than that of louis the fourteenth 
and yet it was far less regular and tranquil how did philip the second succeed in establishing absolute power in spain by stifling all activity in the country opposing himself to every species of amelioration and rendering the state of spain completely stagnant the government of louis the fourteenth on the contrary exhibited alacrity for all sorts of innovations and showed itself favorable to the progress of letters arts wealth in short of civilization this was the veritable cause of its preponderance in europe which arose to such a pitch that it became the type of a government not only to sovereigns but also to nations during the seventeenth century unquote. while france was thus strong and united in herself and ruled by a martial and ambitious and with all his faults an enlightened and high-spirited sovereign what european power was there fit to cope with her or keep her in check Quote, as to germany the ambitious projects of the german branch of austria had been entirely defeated the peace of the empire had been restored and almost a new constitution formed or an old revived by the treaties of westphalia nay the imperial eagle was not only fallen but her wings were clipped unquote. lord bolingbroke's letters on the use of history and his sketch of the history and state of europe abound with remarks on louis the fourteenth and his contemporaries of which the substance is as sound as the style is beautiful unfortunately like all his other works they contain also a large proportion of sophistry and misrepresentation the best test to use before we adopt any opinion or assertion of bolingbroke's is to consider whether in writing it he was thinking either of sir robert walpole or of revealed religion when either of these objects of his hatred was before his mind he scrupled at no artifice or exaggeration that might serve the purpose of his malignity on most other occasions he may be followed with advantage as he always may be read with pleasure Quote, as to spain the spanish branch of the austrian house had sunk equally low philip the second left his successors a ruined monarchy he left them something worse he left them his example and his principles of government founded in ambition in pride in ignorance in bigotry and all the pedantry of state it is not therefore to be wondered at that france in the first war of louis the fourteenth despised the opposition of both branches of the once predominant house of austria indeed in germany the french king acquired allies among the princes of the empire against the emperor himself he had a still stronger support in austria's misgovernment of her own subjects the words of bolingbroke on this are remarkable and some of them sound as if written within the last three years bolingbroke says quote, it was not merely the want of cordial cooperation among the princes of the empire that disabled the emperor from acting with vigor in the cause of his family then nor that has rendered the house of austria a dead weight upon all her allies ever since bigotry and its inseparable companion cruelty as well as the tyranny and avarice of the court of vienna created in those days and has maintained in ours almost a perpetual diversion of the imperial arms from all effectual opposition to france i mean to speak of the troubles in hungary 
whatever they became in their progress they were caused originally by the usurpations and persecutions of the emperor and when the hungarians were called rebels first they were called so for no other reason than this that they would not be slaves the dominion of the emperor being less supportable than that of the turks this unhappy people opened a door to the latter to infest the empire instead of making their country what it had been before a barrier against the ottoman power france became a sure though secret ally of the turks as well as the hungarians and has found her account in it by keeping the emperor in perpetual alarms on that side while she has ravaged the empire in the low countries on the other End quote. if after having seen the imbecility of germany and spain against the france of louis the fourteenth we turn to the two only remaining european powers of any importance at that time to england and to holland we find the position of our own country as to european politics from sixteen sixty to sixteen eighty eight most painful to contemplate from sixteen sixty to sixteen eighty eight quote, england by the return of the stuarts was reduced to a nullity end quote. the words are michelet's and though severe they are just they are in fact not severe enough for when england under her restored dynasty of the stuarts did take any part in european politics her conduct or rather her king's conduct was almost invariably wicked and dishonorable bolingbroke rightly says that quote, previous to the revolution of sixteen eighty eight during the whole progress that louis the fourteenth made in obtaining such exorbitant power as gave him well-grounded hopes of acquiring at last to his family the spanish monarchy england had been either an idle spectator of what passed on the continent or a faint and uncertain ally against france or a warm and sure ally on her side or a partial mediator between her and the powers confederated together in their common defence but though the court of england submitted to abet the usurpations of france and the king of england stooped to be her pensioner the crime was not national on the contrary the nation cried out loudly against it even whilst it being committed holland alone of all the european powers opposed from the very beginning a steady and uniform resistance to the ambition and power of the french king it was against holland that the fiercest attacks of france were made and though often apparently on the eve of complete success they were always ultimately baffled by the stubborn bravery of the dutch and the heroism of their leader william of orange when he became king of england the power of this country was thrown decidedly into the scale against france but though the contest was thus rendered less unequal although william acted throughout quote, with invincible firmness like a patriot and a hero unquote, france had the general superiority in every war and in every treaty and the commencement of the eighteenth century found the last league against her dissolved all the forces of the confederates against her dispersed and many disbanded while france continued armed with her veteran forces by sea and land increased and held in readiness to act on all sides whenever the opportunity should arise for seizing on the great prizes 
which from the very beginning of his reign had never been lost sight of by her king this is not the place for any narrative of the first essay which louis the fourteenth made of his power in the war of sixteen sixty seven of his rapid conquest of flanders and franche comte of the treaty of aix la chapelle which was quote, nothing more than a composition between the bully and the bullied unquote. of his attack on holland in sixteen seventy two of the districts and barrier towns of the spanish netherlands which were secured to him by the treaty of nimagun in sixteen seventy eight of how after this treaty he quote, continued to vex both spain and the empire and to extend his conquests in the low countries and on the rhine both by the pen and the sword how he took luxembourg by force stole strasbourg and bought cassel of how the league of augsburg was formed against him in sixteen eighty six and the election of william orange to the english throne in sixteen eighty eight gave a new spirit to the opposition which france encountered of the long and checkered war that followed in which the french armies were generally victorious on the continent though his fleet was beaten at la hague and his dependent james the second was defeated at the boyne or of the treaty of ryswick which left france in possession of roussillon artois and strasbourg which gave europe no security against her claims on the spanish succession and which louis regarded as a mere truce to gain breathing time before a more decisive struggle it must be borne in mind that the ambition of louis in these wars was twofold it had its immediate and its ulterior objects its immediate object was to conquer and annex to france the neighboring provinces and towns that were most convenient for the increase of her strength but the ulterior object of louis from the time of his marriage to the spanish infanta in 1659 was to acquire for the house of bourbon the whole empire of spain a formal renunciation of all right to the spanish succession had been made at the time of the marriage but such renunciations were never of any practical effect and many casuists and jurists of the age even held them to be intrinsically void as time passed on and the prospect of charles the second of spain dying without lineal heirs became more and more certain well, so did the claims of the house of bourbon to the spanish crown after his death become matters of urgent interest to french ambition on the one hand and to the other powers of europe on the other at length the unhappy king of spain died by his will he anointed philip duke of anjou one of louis the fourteenth's grandsons to succeed him on the throne of spain and strictly forbade any partition of his dominions louis well knew that a general european war would follow if he accepted for his house the crown thus bequeathed but he had been preparing for this crisis throughout his reign he sent his grandson into spain as king philip v of that country addressing to him on his departure the memorable words quote, there are no longer any pyrenees unquote. the empire which now received the grandson of louis as its king comprised besides spain itself the strongest part of the netherlands sardinia sicily naples the principality of milan and other possessions in italy the philippines and marilla islands in asia and in the new world besides california and florida the greatest part of central and of southern america philip was well received in madrid where he was crowned as king philip v 
in the beginning of 1701. The distant portions of his empire sent in their adhesion, and the House of Bourbon, either by its French or Spanish troops, now had occupation both of the kingdom of Francis I and of the fairest and amplest portion of the empire of the great rival of France, Charles V. Loud was the wrath of Austria, whose princes were the rival claimants of the Bourbons for the empire of Spain. The indignation of William III, though not equally loud, was far more deep and energetic. By his exertions, a league against the House of Bourbon was formed between England, Holland, and the Austrian emperor, which was subsequently joined by the kings of Portugal and Prussia, by the Duke of Savoy, and by Denmark. Indeed, the alarm throughout Europe was now general and urgent. It was clear that Louis aimed at consolidating France and the Spanish dominions into one preponderating empire. At the moment when Philip was departing to take possession of Spain, Louis had issued letters patent in his favor to the effect of preserving his rights to the throne of France, and Louis had himself obtained possession of the important frontier of the Spanish Netherlands with its numerous fortified cities which were given up to his troops under pretense of securing them for the young king of spain whether the formal union of the two crowns was likely to take place speedily or not it was evident that the resources of the whole spanish monarchy were now virtually at the french king's disposal end of chapter eleven part one recording by john van stan savannah georgia